Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. Welcome, welcome to episode 24 of the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm Nathan Berry. I'm joined by Barrett Brooks, and today is Q&A Friday. Casual Q&A Friday. <laughs> That's right. Hey, I was painting my tiny house, and now I have paint on my shirt. <laughs> Does that make you a creator? That makes me a creator. Uh, you know that when I think of a painter, I think of like something more than like, cool, this siding is now white. Uh-huh. But, you know, I do what I can. How are you doing today? This is the, well, do you want me to tell you green or do you want the honest answer? <laughs> I'd say I'm yellow at best. I think I woke up pretty green, spent some time with my son, made some coffee for the family, made some pancakes, had a great call with two of our new hires that I'm so thankful they decided to come to work here, um, shared about our market of creators and just kind of helping them understand who we serve. I've, um, I've kind of like... You, you designed this or designed, you developed this definition of creator for your book that you're working on. Mm-hmm. And I've expanded on that a little bit. And so the way I've been describing it to new teammates or defining it is a creator is anyone who creates original work or makes original work for to teach, inspire, or entertain a dedicated audience of fans or followers. And so you can kind of break it down to original work, um, teach, inspire, entertain, and fans or followers as kind of like the three elements. And that seems to really resonate. It's like, it really communicates a lot in one sentence. So that's kind of cool. It's kind of fun to like walk people through that and then share some of our archetypes of the customers that we design for. But then on the other side, I'm just, I was saying to you just before this, that I feel like there, we have crossed a threshold in the organization. We just hired our 53rd person, I think. Mm -hmm. And somewhere around the 50 mark, it definitely feels like things have changed. There's there's more information coming in than I think you or I can reasonably continue to consume. And so we got to design some new systems for ourselves to continue leading effectively. And so that's just kind of, you know, Friday thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I'd say I'm yellow. <laughs> way, to, way to wrap that up, put a little bow on that. Yeah, I definitely feel that as well. Of like, okay, this company is <laughs> sizable and in a good way. Like we've brought on some incredible people and, and it's also just the amount of work that's going on at any given time is, it's pretty impressive. The range of features that are rolling out and everything else. So anyway, it's good stuff. I'd say I'm probably yellow as well today, probably for similar reasons. Uh, I think, you know, I found myself like it taking an hour to like respond with like a meaningful base camp comment and just kind of showed me like, okay, my head's not really in the work today. You know, I'm not, normally I write just epic prose in base camp, you know, just like really mm. Hemingway level. And Where do you post that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's for the internal base camp. And then you just get the quick notes. <laughs> you know, and today was just one of those days where it's like, man, do I even know how to communicate in written form? Because I'd go back and re- read it and be like, this doesn't say what I'm trying to. Oh, well. Anyway, um, I also tried to move my tiny house today, which is very exciting. So I like took a little break around lunchtime. Cut some tree branches that were in the way. Uh, we hooked up the truck to the tiny house. Truck's not big enough to tow the tiny house. So Uh-oh. I thought because it was just flat ground, it would be okay. But the it's way too much weight on the tongue. And so 
Uh, this evening, I'm going to try to find a bigger truck. Hmm. So we'll still get it moved. But good luck with that. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so we're both yellow. So <laughs> it turns out we're not both green every day. Yeah. Also, us... We can be like yellow, red, and then we start recording this and we're like, yeah, no, we're good. <laughs> we're entertained it does, it does, and laughing. It does help quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I was reading comments, uh, YouTube comments for the show today. And we had one person who basically said like, this show is BS. The first however much time was just complete waste of time, <laughs> uh, whatever, whatever. And I was like, you know, it's good to have some haters. It it's is. okay. It is. And I just responded. I was like, hey, you know. Thanks for giving it a shot. I appreciate you listening. A major part of what we're trying to do here is is make a personal connection with the audience. And I think sharing who we are authentically is is part of that. And if that's not what you're looking for, that's all right. I appreciate you listening to one and, and trying it out. I was inclined to say like, oh, I agree. You know, <laughs> like the first five minutes is a total waste. That's what the plus 30 seconds button is for on your podcast player. Anyways, sometimes you just have to say to the the people who don't get it, like, that's cool. It's not for you. Well, um, let's dive know. into that. On uh, Q&A Friday, we got some questions. And actually, maybe you're going to segue and I just stole it from you. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that this one ties in pretty well. And this is from our friend Rafal, uh, who is one of the most talented designers I've ever worked with. Uh, he designed my site. He's designed at least 10 of the ConvertKit landing pages that we have in there. He's done a bunch of work for us over over the years. Done work for just a lot of people, Pat Flynn, copy blogger, lots of great work in the community. And he shared that he's been getting uh, a good amount of like hate mail kind of <laughs> for being too transparent. The gist of what he shared is he, he shared the kind of projects that he's doing, like these big redesigns of uh, personal brands and they shared they started about $20,000 and you know for him to really dive into the design and development there that's about what I paid uh him and the agency he was at with at the time uh to you know completely redo my whole site uh and a bunch of designers started going after him like giving him a hard time over email and so he asked this, us this question of I would like to know how being transparent affected ConvertKit and uh, I thought we'd just kick it off there Yeah. So I responded to Rafal's original tweet. I said, transparency is vulnerability. Vulnerability is threatening to others, especially when it touches on an area of insecurity, need, or fear. You do you and and remember that it's okay if it's not for them, the right people will find you. And um, I mean, that's my basic perspective. Like it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And if you are transparent, I think that being transparent creates symmetry of information. It means that what I believe to be true about myself or what is true about myself, my company, my situation, whatever, is now known by both of us. And if your response to what's true is F you, I hate you, like you suck, you're making the industry worse. It's like, okay, well, I mean, all I did was just tell you what's true. And I can't hope that that doesn't resonate with you. Because I'm not going to go, like, what's your alternative? Go change your pricing because right. someone doesn't like it? No. <laughs> someone like, who's got a great career. Right. doesn't like it. You're highly respected. You have great right. clients. Like, people believe in you. And, and I'm not, I don't, I don't mean to discount mm-hmm. um, what Rafal's saying because the emotional toll of that is true. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for me when I get that kind of feedback a lot of times. Um, it's even harder for me, actually, when our team gets that kind of feedback from people. Like, I, I really go pop a bear yeah. on 
on people sometimes. Oh, I've seen it. It's, it's, it's pretty good <laughs> because it like, it pains me to see our team having to deal with that when they don't deserve it, but you're not making something for everyone, mm-hmm. you know? And we've said it before in our audience building episodes that your job is to build for the people who care, who, and who you care to serve. And on some level, I can't remember who said this, but, but someone said it this way, like for everyone else, they can just go pound sand Mm -hmm. because it's fine. Go find some other designer you want to follow then, or go find some other podcasts you want to listen to about business. But part of what we're doing here is we're making a personal connection with Keshna and Sean and Emily and everyone who shows up every day. Like that's part of the fun. I love hearing about the people's lives in the chat and sharing ours with them. So I don't know. That's my perspective there. Yeah. Uh, Calvin jumped in on Twitter and said, hate mail is usually a, just a sign of jealousy. And he said, don't give them the attention. And, you know, I like to showcase it. Uh, actually, I haven't gotten any hate mail recently. So if you want to send me some hate mail, um, go ahead. Because <laughs> you know, if there's a quota, I'm below quota right now. Um, but uh, it's good to talk about because I think when you first get it as a creator, you're like, wait, what? I just put my most genuine creative work out there and I showed up in a, as you said, in a vulnerable way and you're dissing on that. And, and the immediate feeling is to like want to close in and be like, Oh, okay. I won't, I won't do that anymore. And, uh, you know, that's why I appreciate the Rafal and the others are, are sharing this because then it, it tells other creators, tells everyone, listen, that's why we're talking about it now. They're like, it really sucks but it's a part of being a creator. Everyone's dealing with it in in one way or another. You know, I was thinking about it. I have the easiest time. I don't get all the, like the sleazy gross messages that all the female creators that I know get, Right. you know? And so I think the first time any of that happens, you're just like, whoa, what is going on in the world? And then there's some element of it where there's good tactics and ways to deal with it and that kind of thing. But it's helpful to know that that's out there. So you're not completely blindsided with it as you grow your audience. Yeah. I will say that this is the second podcast I've made where people said things like, can you just stay on topic? (laughs) I I think that uh, maybe there's some more tightly edited podcasts for. (laughs) Yes. And on the last one, it was not my fault. So (laughs) (laughs) wait, wait, are you saying that it's my fault? What are you? No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, on, uh, on, on the fizzle show, yes. we got that feedback all the time. And, uh, anyways, we won't go Oh there, man. Yeah. So that's the perspective. Emily shared in the chat that she's never gotten a good reaction when telling someone it's probably not for you. And that's totally fair. Um, I have a little bit of a self-righteousness streak. And so sometimes I can get into it where it's just like, I'm going to let you know that it's not for you and tell you to go away. <laughs> And I'm not going to worry about what you say back. So, you know, I'm not saying that's the way you have to handle it, but the equivalent might be just like archive and tell yourself. Right. Wasn't for them. That's okay. And if you don't want to keep getting that stuff from them, you can just remove them from your email list, you know, or from block them on Twitter or whatever. That reminded me. I forgot about my favorite tip, right? Because you send out an email and you get these great replies back and you reply to them and and it's so wonderful. And then you get this one reply where it's like, you know, I don't know what you would say to somebody you don't deserve to make that much money, whatever obnoxious thing that somebody says, what you do, you like read that email as you see it and then scroll and scroll to the bottom. And there's an unsubscribe link there. And that normally is for them. Like it's their unsubscribe link, but magically if you click it, it does the same thing. And so you just click that, you archive the email and you move on. And then weirdly, they just won't get your emails anymore. And it's fantastic. But yeah, 
Uh, okay. Next question was from, I, I think the way I would pronounce it is Shaylin, uh, but you can correct me, Shaylin, in the chat if I got that wrong. Would you be willing to talk about the difference between Twitter and LinkedIn and which platform you prefer to funnel into your email list? Thoughts here, Nathan? Um, okay, so I have not ever really done audience growth on LinkedIn. So I'm not the best person to compare the two. I know a lot of people who are doing that really, really well. Um, there's a creator named Bob Glazer uh, who writes something called the Friday Forward. And so his target is a lot of um, leaders of you know tech companies and, and that kind of thing. He runs like 100, 150 person um, affiliate marketing company. And he's just an incredible leader, incredible writer. And he grows most of his list through LinkedIn and through republishing. I also know that James Clear, when he got started out, did a lot on LinkedIn. You know, and for that that business thought leader type content, I think it can do really well there. And I've actually been impressed with how much syndication and reach people have gotten on LinkedIn. So I would definitely pursue that. I would just say it's not something that I've ever done. For whatever reason, I don't know. I, I hang out on Twitter more. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I'm a glutton for punishment. I love the like the faster nature of it, but that's where where I've spent my time. Yeah. I think it really depends on where your audience is, you know, where the people that you're, you're making stuff for lives more naturally in terms of social platforms. Um, in some ways you could throw Instagram and other platforms into this conversation too, because it's the same question, right? And if you're asking the question, I think it might be because maybe some of your audience lives on both. And what I would say back, if that's true, you know, so first question, does your audience live in both of these places? If not, just be in the place where your audience is more often. But if they are in both places, then my next question would be, do I have capacity to do both of these well? If I only have capacity to do one well, then I'm gonna pick the one I like better. Right. Because if my audience is on both, I'm just gonna do the one I like better. If I have capacity to do both, great. Then I think you're just trying to design content that fits in each platform, that, that lives more natively in each place. And I think what you what you want to be thinking about there is LinkedIn is a professional platform. It's a professional social mm -hmm. network. And so people are coming there in a work context to think about work. And so I would be framing my posts and framing my content, framing my work in a work context on that platform. Whereas in Twitter, there might be a little bit more wide ranging discussion happening. And so you may have a little bit more leeway to share different aspects of whatever it is that you're making. Um, so I don't think there's one that's better than the other. I would agree with you, Nathan, that Twitter is more accessible to me and just sometimes feels a little bit easier to me to kind of transition people naturally from that platform into my content. But I have seen people do both really well. Yeah. And I would just say, whatever you choose, go in on that platform. So don't just think like, okay, I'm going to write it over here and I'll republish to LinkedIn or I'll republish and link to it on Twitter. Like actually really participate and engage and see who else is... Uh, writing similar content, reply to theirs and and really like form a community there within that broader ecosystem. Uh, I think people, when they're just like, I wrote this thing and now let me spray it to a dozen sources for republishing. I think they're going to get a lot less engagement because uh, I'll take another example of someone going all in on a platform uh, would be in the software space of Jason Lemkin, who runs Saster. And he started his whole audience just responding to LinkedIn or sorry, to, to Quora posts. Someone ask a question, anything related to software, SaaS, startups, uh, you know, anything that he had experience on, he would write out the best reply to that question. And so it got to the point where I'd come across stuff so often that I would just click through his profile and be like, let me re read every response that you have. And he built a massive community. You know, now 
their conference is like seven or 8,000 people a year. And it's just this huge community. And he started by just going all in on one platform. Yep. Yep. I love that. And we could probably do a whole episode on, on tactics we use on Twitter and stuff like that. So maybe we'll add that to, to our queue. Sean's got a good question here. Uh, how do you monitor your remote employees to make sure they're actually working their required hours from home and working to their fullest potential? And we've actually gotten this question from a lot of people in one form or another as like all these like in-office businesses have moved to home. The first thing that I would say, we have a different approach at ConvertKit where we purely focus on outputs, right? We're trying, when we hire someone, we say, we, you know, we went through hundreds and hundreds of applications and we found you and we think you're the best person. We interview everything. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to tell you the outcome that we want, that we're trying to get as a business. And we're going to give you free reign to go make that happen. And we're going to measure you because we do believe in performance management and, and all of that. But we're going to be measuring you based on your output, not based on how much time you spend in the chair, whether or not you were working or on Twitter, you know, or any of those other things. And so the question of how do we monitor remote employees? We don't. We encourage them to do deep focused work where they don't pay attention to us or talk to us or check in on Slack or be available every five minutes or whatever might be normal in an office. And instead to say, you know, to resurface every day or, um, you know, at the end of the week, anytime they need and say like, look at this whole thing that I produced. And so it's a totally different mindset. And I think if you switch that and you, you lead with trust, then you're going to find that uh, you get a lot better output from your team. Yeah. I also think, you know, hiring for the kind of people who operate well in that type of environment right. is a thing that we've really built our business on. And, um, one thing I would add here is that we are making a second podcast that's more about like running a software company and a big team. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that stuff, some of you may be interested in it, but we do think it's a different kind of thing. Like many of you don't want to have 50 employees, don't want to have any employees. And so we want to respect the boundaries there. But the second episode of that podcast is about this topic. Right. The the thing, the unexpected things that we do differently that makes remote work work for us. And so just we'll, we'll let you know when that show launches. And I think you'll really enjoy that episode there, Sean. Yeah, that'd be good. Okay. I'm curious what you think about this one and what advice you'd give to Jessica. Um, she says, I'm struggling with getting started on a project and then feeling like I need to study it further. I'm in a research rut rather than creating any advice. Yeah. Mm. This resonates with me. <laughs> research rut. I, I, I've known uh, Bear Brooks to get in a research rut before. <laughs> the next research paper I'm going to read <laughs> on my desk, print it out. Um, it's really a personal and contextual question, right? So the thing that you're going to have to hone, if you're a research oriented person, you really enjoy digging in the thing you're going to have to hone over time is a self-awareness about whether you're using research to delay the scary part of a project or whether you're using research to prepare properly to start a project. And what I have found is that the more I've created the more leeway I can give myself to do research because I know that it is often not driven by fear. And the more that I've created, the bigger my ambitions get in terms of the projects I want to take on and the more legitimate research they require. So I'm going to tell a story about an experience studying abroad from a decade ago now that I think relates to this. I, my wife and I got the chance to study at Oxford university for a semester, a trimester as they do trimesters there. And their education system is completely different from the U.S. 
you go to class once a week with uh, Don, which is their name for a professor, and there's two to four people in the class, maybe up to six at times, but I mean, it's small. Mm -hmm. And each class is just a discussion. It's a discussion about a topic. And when you leave class, the Don hands you a question to consider for the next week and what amounts to a bibliography. Here are 50 books or resources in the Oxford Library that you can use to answer this question. And so you have a week. Well, really, you have uh, five days, six days to write a 10-page paper answering the question using the bibliography. Here's what I love about that. You can do as much research as you want, but the papers do at least 24 hours before class starts. And then class is based on what you wrote and then conversation between people that had different perspectives there. The principle I take away from that is I would research until the very last minute when I knew I had to start writing if I was going to get it turned in. And that hard boundary told me, okay, you can do as much research as you want, but you got to stop at this date and you're never going to be able to read everything on the bibliography. So pick wisely. And that would be my advice to you, Jessica, is set a boundary up front. I'm going to read these three books on this topic, and then I'm going to start. I'm going to read these 10 blog articles on this topic, and then I'm going to write my own. Whatever the number is. I don't even care what the number is. You can make it really big. I would recommend making it smaller than feels comfortable. Uh, so like if there's 12 books on the topic you're trying to write about, I'd pick two or three. Because usually you don't need to read all 12 to get what you can add that's unique to the conversation. Now, if you're going to go traditionally publish a book with a publisher, for example, that's different than writing a blog article, or that's different than starting a new, a new site. Uh, you need to know what market you're entering into. You need to know the other books on the topic and how yours will fit there and everything. And so the scale of the project matters. But I think this context is about you're starting a new site or a new business mm -hmm. or whatever. I would use your research as fuel along the way to be publishing. So for everything that you read or everything that you watch, every new principle you pick up from that or every new lesson, I would just go write or podcast or make a YouTube video about that thing. And so they're, they're actually one and the same. The research is the creation at the start. And then the more expert you get, you'll have your own perspective to add on top of that. I think that's really good. And I would probably go even a little more concrete and say for that, summarizing the research perspective, just have a block at the end of every day or whatever time of day works, you know, it's 30 minutes and you're just going to sit down. If you need to like toss your mouse across the room so you don't have it and just like brain dump, write everything, you know, there's no quality bar or anything. Just dump everything that you have from the research, everything that stood out to, uh, to you, summarize all of that and then do that until the timer goes off. And if you do that every day, it'll like keep kicking you from like, you're allowed to spend almost all the day in research mode. That's great. And then it's forcing you to say, okay, but at least at least summarize uh, where you're going and what you learned. Yep, yep, totally. Um, that also cements the learning, which is another great aspect of it. Yeah. Okay, next question. Um, this was from Sarah Griesenbach on Twitter. Most people emailing an audience know an overwhelming amount of information about the topic. So this is like the other side of this whole mm -hmm. thing. Once you've got the expertise, um, where do you start? How do you organize all of those different potential ideas into an email sequence or a weekly newsletter? Maybe could you share some about an editorial calendar for email newsletters? So basically Sarah's saying, you're an expert. Now you're going to start a creator-driven business based mm -hmm. on what you know. How do you design an email strategy when you know so much already? 
Yeah. Well, first I'd say an email strategy is just, is a content strategy where you picked a specific medium. You can, instead of getting caught up in email, you can go a little broader. And what I would think about is try to come up with a specific person or a couple people that you're trying to learn this, uh, this skill. So if you are writing about taking care of houseplants and you've got that one friend that's like always trying to kind of get into it, but keeps killing everything. They're like, yeah. And then I transplant and then it died. And then I did. And, and then it died. Like what advice would you give to that one person, you know, getting in, in there in a lot of detail. And, uh, I think that's where it really helps when I was writing my, everything that I knew about designing software, uh, into a book on the topic, I wrote it to my brother-in-law, Philip, because he was getting into that industry. He was like, Hey, what should I learn? What should I read? And it was like, okay, well, what would I teach you? Hungry, motivated, ready to learn. And it's like, okay, these are the principles. Let me break down and teach it to you. And that really helped me put it in a mindset of like, okay, you should learn this and then that, and then this really matters. And the great thing is you're able to come back and rearrange later because later you're like, Ooh, forgot total foundational thing, (laughs) you know, and you can write it now. And then later in your email sequence, uh, put it earlier. So I would just, as you're thinking about this overwhelming amount of knowledge that you need to share with everyone, just pause, think of a specific person, and then realize that this is a long-term relationship. You have plenty of time to teach them all kinds of, all kinds of things. And so that's one of my favorite things about an email sequence is I don't have to cram it all in on day one or even week one. I can show up every week with just more and more information and you'll know everything that I want you to know by the end of six months. Uh, so long as you're engaged and, and you keep paying attention. Yeah. I'm realizing that, um, maybe a topic for a future episode would be something like how to design a great evergreen newsletter or introductory sequence or something like that. And we'll have a lot to share there. So, um, there's some initial thoughts for you, Sarah, and then we'll get into it on a future episode too. One more question. And then we'll wrap up. When are you sending too many emails to your list from Mike Kelly from member vault? This is a good one. My basic perspective is you'll know you're sending too many emails to your list. If your net subscriber growth is negative or if people are emailing you saying, stop emailing me so much. Yeah. And I think it's highly, highly contextual to your audience. Mm-hmm. Some audiences want to hear from you every day. You have that kind of relationship with them. Some audiences feel like you're completely transactional and they only want to hear from you when you have a deal for them. And so I think it really matters. I would use the relationship with your audience to drive how often you email them. And I think you have to calibrate that based on the feedback you get mm-hmm. from that audience. Cause ultimately you're there to serve them. That's the only purpose of the email is to serve your audience in some way. And if it's not serving them, they'll show you through either unsubscribing or by giving you direct feedback. I would say that the expectations that you set really matter. Mm. So what did you set out to create? Are you doing a daily email? And then, you know, if you're Seth Godin, Right. And I'm sure he gets so many people who write to him and be like, Seth, stop writing these short little posts every day. Give me a meaningful, like meaty post every week. And he's just like, uh, hi, but that's not what I do. You know, like go read somebody else who goes and writes these detailed posts or you know what? Go read one of my books because that's what it is. He's got like 18 of them. They're really solid, you know, and, and that's what he's doing. So he says, if that's the way you learn, I have content in another form for you. What I would say is if you created the expectation, hey, we're going to send out one email every week or Monday and Thursday or five days a week or whatever, whatever the expectation is that you want for yourself, make it clear to your audience from when they signed up 
and then deliver on it consistently. And then if people are complaining about that and that's the cycle that you want, that's okay. They can find another audience. I think where people get themselves into trouble is they're like, I built this audience. I do an article every week, but then I want to do this webinar here. And then I want to promote this over here. Oh, and you know what? Someone else is doing this great product launch and I want to be on the top of the leaderboard for that. So let's send four emails for that. Wait, I'm emailing too often. And because really they went from not how can I deliver value to my audience and how can I fulfill this contract that I have? Um, And they went completely the other way. And they said, my email list is an ATM. And if I, you know, pull this lever or hit the buttons on it more often, then more money comes out. And that is totally true. And you'll find that it has very diminishing returns and doesn't result in the, uh, you being the type of creator you want to be and having the relationship with your audience that you want to have. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay. We are right on the 30 minute mark. Uh, it's Friday. It's sunny outside. We don't have creators or resources of the day because we wanted to focus on your questions today. So my thought for you is it's the weekend. Weeks are hard right now. They feel really long. I know I say this every Friday, but take care of yourself. Go do something you love or that brings you joy this weekend. And we will see you back on Monday. Sounds good. See y'all later. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today. Yeah.